0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
0: Today, I'm speaking with Ari Raz, CEO of the Coconut Cult, the small-batch coconut-based yogurt company in those highly satisfying glass jars that delivers gut health and fun, innovative flavors like chocolate mousse, blueberry a la mode, and candy cookie. Ari is well-known in the CPG world for co-founding Once Upon a Farm, the first cold-pressed refrigerated kids' food in a pouch. In late 2017, Ari shifted into president role, when John Foraker joined the company as CEO, for the next four years, Ari oversaw the company's growth from one million through fifty million in annual sales. In twenty twenty one, Ari joined the Coconut Cult as CEO, and I'm so excited to have him here. Hi, Ari! Yay! Hello,
2: hello, hi, Allison.
0: Hello, hello. Really um, excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've like. You know, sometimes they're incoming. In your case, I definitely slid into your DMs, and I was like, "Hey, (laughs) you want to (laughs) come on my podcast?" (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's fun. You got to have both, but in this case, I definitely, I think, particularly because you've been on both sides of this like founder CEO thing, Um, right? And then we had a call, and it was just really nice. I may or may not have, you know, cried. And then um, (laughs) here you are now. So yay. Uh, How are you doing?
2: I'm really good. I'm, you know, honestly, when I when I think when I when I saw your DM, I was (laughs) I was shocked and delighted and honored all at the same time. Uh, I don't know, I have this weird way of just uh, never thinking I'm you know, good enough for, for certain things and
0: for in the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> for in the sauce.
2: Well, you know, I, I, I yes. you know, you, you I interview know. some, some incredible people in this show. So to be uh, invited, I, I really, you know, felt was a, a big honor. So I'm, I'm also not just happy to be here, but, but that call also was extremely memorable for me. And I, I just enjoyed talking to you so much and, Yeah, just grateful to have the opportunity to be on this show, but also just to get to know you better as well.
0: Yeah, me too. And, you know, it goes back to these conversations tend to be so good and like helpful and, you know, I don't know, like soothing or something um, (laughs) that it's great for me to just be able to share them with all the other you know people who are in it with us, um so in they the can, yeah, so they can feel it too, you know and and hopefully get some good little nuggets out of um what would otherwise be just a private conversation between you know two people trying to build things that didn't exist before, um yeah so it's december, um and I think we're all kind of um. It it feels, you know, someone, I talk about Miguel Leal a lot on the show, but he said something the other day because I was like, you know, it's like really slow until it's really fast. And he's like, yeah, like an avocado. And I was like, totally, like an avocado. Like they're like not ripe, not ripe, not ripe. And then they're like, you know, brown. Um, I love that. and, And I feel like that's how the year has been almost. Like we've all sort of been like, what's going to happen, what's going to, what's going to, and now it's, like, happening. Um, And I just kind of am curious about, you know, your thoughts. You know, I'm sure you've gotten calls from other founders, people running companies. Uh, the, The landscape is a little strange. I don't think we're heading into this, like, deep, dark, crazy thing that everyone thinks we are, but people are kind of behaving like we are. A lot of cuts, a lot of just trimming on the off chance, and also because we all know that cash is a little funny these days. I'm just kind of curious, you know, your big picture shower, three a.m. industry sort of thoughts. You know, <laughs> what are what are you picking up on that's going on?
2: Yeah, that's um, that's a really that's a really uh timely question um, so i i see 2022 as being um, a year that went i think differently than a lot of people thought it was going to go uh, back in 2021 right you have i i mean as far as I remember you know there was still this pandemic thing going on in 2021 mm-hmm. that we were mm-hmm. starting to see the light of and Everyone thought, "Oh man! Once this thing is is quote unquote over, um, it's just going to lead to this explosion of you know not just normality, but over normality and commerce, and things are just going to pick up like you know like right where we left them off uh, back in early 2020." Um, and I and I think that you know in a lot of ways um, that sort of like explosion that we all thought was coming it 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 didn't happen the way that uh that we thought and it frankly in some cases right happened there, there was there, there's been this kind of weird um slowdown in the market we we all of a sudden kind of realized oh wait but but inflation and you know um like supply chain issues are still ongoing and, you know, just things, things that we thought were going to resolve themselves very quickly uh, did not. And um, as a result, as a result of that 2022 has been a pretty, uh, a pretty wonky year uh, in terms of just meeting expectations. So, um, you know, I think for, for, for a lot of CPG brands and a lot of founders I speak with, um, I'm hearing two different kind of, I guess, uh, perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, general thesis is, you know, caution, right? We have to be cautious. 2023 uh, is definitely going to be this year where we're going to see the result of, you know, continued inflation, increase. You know, continued Fed Fed interest rate hikes and things of that nature that um, are going to continue to put this damper on consumption, spending. Of, uh, mm-hmm. spending you know, premium CPG, etc. Um, I'm I'm hearing from some founders that are trying to fundraise right now about how challenging it is, and you know, as somebody who I feel like I'm you know, every other uh, couple months on fundraising, it almost feels like, um, <laughs> you know, I talked to, I talked to investors as well. And, you know, the, the, especially the CPG investors, um, there seems to be this caution that, um, and this, this sort and of see. reluctance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that I didn't, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent uh, a year ago. Uh, it was not as strong. And I think that it bears to reason that, um, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of results coming out of that, right? That yeah. reluctance to invest. And I think that we're starting to see it with um, some startups, you know, making announcements that they're no longer going to be in operation. But I I suspect that will continue um, well into next year where more and more startups are just going to either, you know, run up against a wall, not being able to raise any more capital to keep right. expanding. And, uh, on, and on the other side, um, there's going to be those startups that while throwing, while, while being somewhat cautious, they're going to um, really Continue take advantage to of this mm-hmm. right? They're, they're the, the ones that have gunpowder, the ones that are um, getting the support they need and, and are growing, I think have a really... Really good opportunity right now to to grab a lot of market shelf and build brand awareness.
0: It's interesting because I I'm not an economist nor do I have a, a, a business background other than like running my own. But I, I'm like I feel like what I'm hearing even outside of like consumer is that a lot of the resetting that bigger companies are doing, tech is doing. You know, you're they're they're just kind of going back to 2019 in a way, and this is really like a very rudimentary thesis. So knock it if it's, if I'm kind of reading it wrong, but it feels like in a way things, you know, did go back to normal that the Mm. last couple of years weren't really normal. And that what happened was we all, you know, we started spending as if that was the new normal, or that was the new growth rate. And you know, so the tap of the, um, you know, the tap of the, the, that was fueling that spending kind of turned off, but everything else kind of kept going, like every other cost that we have. And at the same time, then it's like, everyone stopped. <laughs> spending now you got to be profitable and people are just kind of like what you know and it's like it's again it's like the avocado like they kind of knew they kind of knew they kind of knew but now it just seems to be like confronting a lot of companies and I think you know what everyone seems to say is that you know that's painful but also like you said to some extent a good opportunity for everyone to really look and take a deep look at what is working and what isn't and what do we really need and what don't we? And, you know, there was this sort of, um, I don't know. I I mean, we don't even know, you know, we went global with whole foods in April of 2020. We don't know what to benchmark against because Mm -hmm. we never had a pre-pandemic national Whole Foods brand. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm like a velocity freak. I think you probably know that at this point, like that's the thing I keep looking at, but I don't even know, you know, I know when it goes up and, but I don't know what, where it maxes out yet. I don't even know what, how to really even evaluate promos right now. You know, it's like a weird thing. And maybe we were just kind of like, you know, frogs in the water where we didn't even know that we were in this like different thing because we just adapted really quickly. And now we're just sort of stuck with some weird stuff that we got to muddle through, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's an interesting uh, time to launch definitely nationally with whole foods. I mean, consumption patterns, at that time and the way, even the way people that, you know, the way people would purchase, right. Um, you know, those, those things are shifting as well. Um, yeah. I think you're seeing it even in like DoorDash's latest mm-hmm. announcement that, you know, what, you know, they're letting go, go of tons of people. And I, I I'm sure very, you know, all, all across the board it's, you know, home delivery of, of these groceries and things of that nature. It's just not, it, I'm sure it's still growing to some degree, but not nearly what we were seeing in the pandemic, right. where Amazon, you know, delivery and 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 uh, grocery delivery and uh, what is it, Instacart and these things were were yep. so 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 important to, and and central to um, any brand's you know marketing strategy at that time. Yeah, um, I think now it's it's shifting, right? It's it's okay now we can actually engage with people again, and now we can. Mm-hmm.
0: Get back them, in the stores. You know,
2: mm-hmm. Get back in the stores. We can meet them on the street, right? Like you do, um, <laughs> and, and 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 just really leverage um, leverage the fact that you know we can have real conversations face to face. Yeah, um, and and use that to our advantage, right? That's 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 really, I think, the sh- the important shift that yeah. a lot of brands need to come to terms with.
0: So going, going back to, you know, the, the, the way that it was, I mean, it feels so crazy because 2017 was like not that long ago. And yet it feels literally like, there were there even electric vehicles back then. You know, like I don't even know what was going on in 2017. I'm like, was the horse still the main form of transport? We there
2: we were had iPhones trains. There. I think
0: there was there. I don't know. There certain there wasn't TikTok. Um, so, but you you know so okay. So in yeah. 2017, you made a shift. You you founded this, you know, amazing, I love it because it's HPP product in a pouch. And it was very helpful Mm. to me. Um, Mm. because, you know, I'd be like, it's like once upon a farm, but for grownups kind of. Right. So it was like a nice little, um, story, but so you had launched once upon a farm, how many years before, like, what year did you launch that?
2: So in 2015, um, I moved to San Diego to co found Once Upon a Farm with Cassandra Curtis, um, who we both were baby food entrepreneurs uh, prior to meeting with our own brands and decided to form, you know, come together and and create a new brand um, using these, these VP.
0: And it was going, I think from our conversation, I got the sense that it was going normally well, in the sense that you were growing, you were opening doors, you were creating a new category, you were, you know, doing what we do now, which is figuring out where does it go in the store, who's the right buyer, how do we tell this story, how do we prove out, you know, all of that stuff and you were doing it and it was going normally well. Um yeah. and then you got a celebrity and John Foraker involved and right. then things went abnormally well. <laughs> right. So how'd that yes. happen?
2: <laughs> uh so yeah uh John Foraker had always been a uh not always right but for about a year and a half had been uh, an investor and advisor to Once Upon a Farm. And he was one of our earliest investors. He, he was actually our first, um, you know, quote unquote, CPG investor. Right. Um, cool. Uh, for the brand. And, you know, we, we, we were so fortunate to get him involved at that early stage when we were um, doing our initial fundraising. And it was just good timing because he, uh, when he was the CEO of Annie's, they had done some research on the category, um, and 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 part of their research identified this white space to create a you know a refrigerated premium brand. And he so he's always had this in the back of his head as well. Wow, this mm-hmm. would be something that some brand is really going to pick up the ball and run with. So when we, when we showed him our, our deck and he saw the, the potential, he he became an investor. So he had, he had always been involved. Then Jennifer Garner got involved um, because of one of our advisors. So uh, we worked with a gentleman named Greg Fleischman, who you may have heard of. He's also quite well-known in our industry. Um, at the time, he was co-founding a brand called Foodsters with Sarah Miller. Yep. and her... Uh, her business manager Nicole King uh, also represented Jen Garner, and uh, Nicole was talking to Greg about Jen's desire to partner with a kids' brand. Um, she'd been looking for one to partner with for many years, and really couldn't find one that
0: right. She wanted to get you know in.
2: she couldn't find an opportunity that really spoke to her that she yeah, and 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 part of her mission and, and purpose for doing so was she wanted to work with a brand that could really also in tandem support the work that she does with save the children. Right. Uh, it's, you know, a nonprofit she's, she's their official, um, chief brand, brand ambassador, and she speaks on their behalf. She's been working with them for, I think the past nine years and, uh, or even longer. And, um, and, and yeah, she is just a passionate advocate for the organization, for the work they do. Um, and and really, you know, a big focus of Save the Children is to go to areas that have been impacted by you know natural disasters and bring you know backpacks filled with food to to schools for kids to pick up and things of that nature. And um, so when when she heard about Once Upon a Farm through her business manager, she asked um, she asked if she could try our product. So we got a phone call. That must have From been Greg fun. asking if we could mail Jen Garner some products. So we said, "Sure, why not?" Like, I mean, you know how it is. You're 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 working mm-hmm. out of a garage or you know your first office, and you're just like, you know, dealing with like entering you know POs and setting up EDI, and you're just like, all of a sudden you get this phone call, and you're like, "Okay, this is different." Yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. So we um, we sent Jen uh, the products she then, uh, asked if we could meet her. So Cassandra and I drove up to LA to meet Jen Garner in her manager's office. And in that meeting, it was really incredible. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. Neither you know, we, we didn't, we didn't expect much, but we, we were shocked at how much Jen knew about us and the products and our story. And, uh, and in the, in the meeting I had, um, I, you know, not knowing what, what to do, how to prepare for something like this and not being a very, <laughs> not being a very cool, like Hollywood guy. I just, you know, I brought my like pitch deck, <laughs> like right. but, you know, but in the pitch deck, I had a, there was a little, you know, page with some advisors on it and John Foraker's picture was there and she saw that and she said, oh, I know this brand. And she then asked if uh, we could arrange a meeting between her and John Foraker because she wanted to learn more about the industry from, you know, someone who's run a, a really big brand for so long right. and, and done so much in the industry. So I reached out to John and because he was a big alias fan, he, uh, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> said, sure I'll meet John Garner. So he flew to LA and it, it it was supposed to be like a 30 minute, just like intro meeting just to say hello and have a, a nice chat. It turned into this like three hour I mean, almost like a love fest where they didn't even talk about the industry or business. All they talked about was this, you know, greater mission that Jen's had forever to support kids um, through nutrition and through other means. And they, you know, vibed on such a, just such a incredible level of, you know, and, and in Jen, I think she, Jen saw in John this, you know, this guy who could make these kinds of big picture yes. um, goals or reality. So she yeah. asked John, Hey John, you know, I really love this brand. I love what these guys are doing, but like, you know, I, I would love to work with you on this. I mean, if I was to join this company, would you jump in as well? And in that meeting, John said, he would. So then it was, you know, up to Cassandra and I to decide um, right. what we wanted to do next. Ball's ball was in our court. Um, you know, yeah. and, uh, that's, so that's how they got involved.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I yeah. mean, you know, we, we touched briefly on this, but, you know, so for everyone, just FYI, we do have, I do have an episode with John from a couple years ago. Um, he was the longtime leader of Annie's then, uh, he advised general mills for a while. And, um, he's been an advisor to a number of emerging brands and, you know, Just like one of those very singular people in this industry that has made a massive difference in the way that you know. I
2: feel like if there was a Mount Rushmore, if there was a Mount Rushmore of like natural CPG, his face is carved on
0: the on the left side. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, And you know, just I mean, Annie's was like Annie's changed a lot. Um, And he's been at the forefront of, you know, pretty much every major certification that, you know, now is sort of table stakes, but wasn't for, you know, decades. So all that being said is I'm sure that you were like, oh, wow, that's great. And on there must have also been a part of you that's like, oh, wow. So, um, you know, what about (laughs) me? I mean right. I would imagine right is that
2: yes yeah of, that's yeah. absolutely and and that feeling did not go away um yeah it's not like I had the feeling and then I just was you know like I talked myself out of it or something right um that feeling that feeling stuck with me for about a year uh after I I made this transition um so it's it you know it was it was definitely um it was hard and it, yeah. it it was hard for a long time so what you have to understand is is that you know we were only about really a year and a half into building this brand a year a year no a little bit more than that so sorry about no, two and, sorry. and a half years right. into building this brand before we um, before we made this decision and two and a half years is not a very long time the brand is still very much an infant yeah. at that stage and, um, and we, we, and, and, and my feeling was I'm, I'm giving up the opportunity to, to accomplish the mission that I put on myself to accomplish, right. right? right. Which is, I'm going to be the one to lead this company into the light. I'm going to be the one to take this company, uh, to a place where it, it becomes a massive success. It, it yeah. it's something that I I want to feel like, you know, because i was the one going to every sales meeting going into every investor pitch leading all of these conversations, you know whether it was you know be, just being the, the yeah. CEO face of the brand right and and, totally. and you put so much of your you wrap so much of your own identity,
0: identity. Yeah. into
2: this this thing and and then you know only to then give it up and give it away to someone else um, what are you left with right what what are you after that if you're no longer um, right, this thing that you, you're creating.
0: I think um, a lot of founders, you know, and this is why I'm so, you know, I don't know very many founders who've handed over reins to CEOs and also then become CEOs who've taken the reins from founders, which is why you are maybe, you know, on the far right of the Mount Rushmore, um, you know, CPG <laughs> mountain carve. But mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it, it is like, It is a question that I think those of us who are actually um, thinking about it, ask ourselves a lot. And, you know, am I the right person to shepherd this company into this next phase of growth? Am I right for what's, you know, inevitably going to be a little bit of a dry season coming up? You know, there Mm. are, you know, in the hospitality world and people who listen to me, you know, talk regularly know that there's it's a very well-known you know you have an opening team for a restaurant that opening team hands it over to the operating team it's not the same skill set often um to start something out of thin air and then to go operate it um and I think a lot of us kind of crave for someone you know to come in and be Mm -hmm. like here's what you got to do You know, let's look at ops. Let's look at sales. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. Um, And a lot of us can't, we don't have the liberty of bringing that person in. There isn't isn't the right match or alignment for people who are generally good at that. I mean, one of the things that's amazing about this is that John was able to downshift almost all of his expertise into a company as young. Because oftentimes people that come from those bigger CPG, bigger roles, they're looking around like, "Wait, where's the team? You know, right. where where is everybody?" Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's. I mean, I have a friend who who did something sort of similar, and she kind of walked in and she was like, "You guys don't have Slack?" And they were like, <laughs> "What?" You know, and she was like, "Oh, uh, okay." I see, you know, and it just she needed, She just like she was like, "Where's you know? You have a right. CRM," and they're like, mm, "What?" Well, so, what did he? What I mean, what would you say? He, yeah. he kind of got in there and he wrapped his arms around everything and like, what? What do you? What do you feel like were like the the basic things sure. that he kind of did early on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, there were before he came on. Right. I, and I was, you know, we were growing at a decent pace and mm-hmm. I think we were learning as we went. I mean, I didn't know what um, EDI was before I right. had to figure it out. Right. Like there's just things you, you kind of just figure it out as you go in a lot of cases and yep. you just, you just sign the the paperwork and you're like, okay, I, I, I did that. I guess it's all, it's all good now. Um, so there were just a lot of, um, that that's that's kind of how I was how I was growing and, and and figuring things out and running the business was just trial by by fire mm-hmm. and um and I think that's the way a lot of you know first time entrepreneurs do it for sure um, now now the uh the, there but but you know there were days right more than one day where I did like have this wish man I wish I could just mm-hmm. have somebody like tell me what to do like yep. help me figure this out because I don't know how to you know, I don't know what else I need to do to get Whole Foods to mm-hmm. open up more regions for us. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Just, yeah, there's just these days where you're like, gosh, like, is there something that I'm not doing right. that other brands are doing that I need mm-hmm. to be doing that I don't know I need to be doing because I'm not doing them or whatever. Like, and, and honestly, uh, I can tell you that, that those feelings are, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, while they are very common, right? There is no one way, yeah. and there's no quote unquote thing that you should be doing that other people aren't doing because there's no secret there's...
0: room that you're not in. <laughs> there's no
2: secret room, <laughs> and every every brand story and it, it, it's different. There's no yep. single playbook. I mean, there's general playbooks and there's guidelines that you can follow, but sometimes recommendations in those books don't mm-hmm. apply to your business and shouldn't apply yep. to your business. Um, so yeah, what, you know, what, what happened when John joined so much changed? I mean, it was, it was a full 180 on, on just almost every, everything. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> part of, part of the reason uh, for that, and, and it, it didn't happen immediately you know right. it, it took it took about 6 months but part of the reason for that is because there was this necessity that it had to happen you see i was struggling with going from three regions of whole foods to you know six or whatever like how, nine regions whatever there's i was struggling with that right that was my big that was my big goal was mm-hmm. man, can i get national whole foods well national whole foods was approved the minute john joined the company i mean that was in the bag uh kroger national distribution was in the bag target national distribution was in the bag um, wow the walmart distribution was in the bag i mean it was uh you know albertson safeway like so many accounts were, yeah. were were just started to put us on their uh yeah on their list for you know ne- the next reset right that it was it was just, it was mind-blowing to me. I, I didn't believe how quickly. Um, so there these decisions is a room. Well, <laughs> there's a room, but, but you know, Jennifer Garner's yeah. in that room, right? It's like, right. and so it's, its you know, what it, what, it, what what was unique about this case was it wasn't just John Forker. Part of it was John Forker, who obviously had these deep relationships with a lot of the retailers. But more importantly, it was the fact that Jen Garner was coming yeah. with us to all of these sales meetings. So like for the first three months, it was me and John and Jen and our sales VP and our marketing, uh, the, the two marketing people that John brought in. And we flew to every single one of these retailer headquarters, head offices and Jen Garner's coming, right? So mm-hmm. they, all, the, all the executives come in, the VP level folks come into the room. So now you're getting the big boardrooms at these major retailers and, you know, and, and they're just, they're, 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 they are in, they are just so excited at the prospect of building a brand with Jennifer Garner because they know how powerful her voice is. They know how she can get, you know, national uh, PR opportunities and do all of these things that us normal citizens cannot. So that was I a love very that you're compelling. sharing
0: that, I have to say. I really appreciate the, you know, I do want to talk a little bit later about the power of celebrity because I think it's only gotten stronger um, since 2017, 2018, almost to the point where it's hard to do something without one, um, I would say. Um, let's take a little break because I'm over my... 25-minute mark, Um, and then we'll come back and and we'll keep talking, but we're going to take a quick break.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood.
0: So when we, when we left for the break, we were talking about Jen Garner and the rooms opening up. Um, I'm curious before we get into, you know, your transition into being, you know, CEO at Coconut Cult, like, were you surprised at anything that John did or that, you know, was there a, were there some sort of like, um, you know, you talked about how, you know, there are all these different, you know, there is no single playbook, but there are some guidelines. Do you feel like you learned a few of those guidelines when he took over as CEO?
2: Yes, 100%. So um, I can I can run through a few things that yeah. John changed and, and, and tweaked and completely demolished. Because <laughs> I'm assuming up. you and,
0: took those with you when you went into your next gig maybe adapted them for the right culture and the right product and the right team, but they informed the way that you then became CEO.
2: Yes. So there were a few, so there's a few things. Uh, First of all, HR and, and people. Um, I thought we had pretty decent uh, benefits uh, as a business. And I thought we were doing a pretty good job at treating our people well and all this. Um, but it wasn't what what we had in place uh, wasn't good enough for John. What he wanted us to put into place for the employees for the team was um, I was using Gusto, you know, very very common for entrepreneurs to use. He said we need to get a uh, a PEO. We need to get you know we need to get the health insurance that blue chip companies offer to their employees. We need to have better we have we need to have stronger hr policies we need to have you know just more structure around how we uh treat employees and we need we need written guidelines right i was kind mm-hmm. of just hiring yeah. people and asking them what they wanted and making sure that they were taking care <laughs> of and being nice of, yeah and being nice but yeah. like he he wanted like policies and things in place that you know we had a, a very meager employee handbook but he wanted something that was robust and well thought through and and I really appreciated that because um you know things like putting in uh putting like a, a an official bonus program in place um actually like writing down a policy on how the company distributes equity to employees and like having that solidified in place like there were these were things that we're always kind of in my head, like, yeah, we'll get to that or we'll mm-hmm. do that. But mm-hmm. he, he made it a priority from day one um, to make sure that we were that we had policies to really reward the the hard work of our employees, and also I think to be able to hire and attract yep. top talent Great into talent. our company. So yeah, that is that was something that I didn't place enough emphasis on as a CEO. That I realized, okay, this is HR, super important. I gotta, yes. I gotta make sure that I'm always thinking through that piece. And then he also, um, he also made sure that we re, he actually led the charge to rewrite our vision and mission statements, and really went through a process because for him, making sure that you, you know, can articulate your values not just amongst the leadership team, but then have that carried down to every single employee in the company, and really build that vision together is something that. I've always thought it was important to have a, a vision statement and a mission statement but the way that he um used that to communicate to the rest everything of the company else. and, and yeah. have everything else flow through that was was different and it was it was awesome to see how important that was to him and and i and i didn't i didn't appreciate it as much prior um the other the other pieces are you know knowing your numbers right so there were there were aspects to our financial reporting that were never accurate. They were always murky. Um, it was mm-hmm. it was like a, trade it spend? Was a, <laughs> well trade <laughs> spend is a is a, definitely a big one, uh, but also inventory. Uh, inventory right. was always so hard to pinpoint and 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 articulate on a balance sheet. Because we didn't have all we were using at the time was spreadsheets and QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a robust ERP system, right? So that was one of his first uh, big priorities was to implement a robust ERP system, so that we could know fully, you know, exactly what our inventory was, where inventory was by warehouse, by lot right. code, um, and then of course raw material inventory as well. So. That was something that he taught. So when he joined, he built a. He basically brought in a, a leadership team, right, which we mm-hmm. we didn't really have before. So he brought us a chief operating officer, a vice president of sales, uh, a VP of brand marketing, a VP of marketing communications, and then a small team under each of these folks to to support them. Um, and and by doing that, by building that structure. Um, it really showed me just how important like a what the the importance of having a leadership team what what the importance of having a leadership team really means because yep. before i was kind of managing it with my co-founder mm-hmm. and we were in charge and everybody was kind of under us right yes. it wasn't like there was this brain trust of people with different backgrounds and special specializations that you know would would fill in all these different gaps right. but john built that from the very beginning and i see that in every single decision that he made, how vital the input that he would get from his team, from this brain trust of of seasoned leaders, really helped um, him right make the most clear, well thought through decisions he could for the you know future growth of, of the brand. Um, obviously, it's not something everyone can do.
0: No, um, but I think I think just knowing what those what those functions are a little bit knowing that, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, I have another friend who, you know, they're in like the 20 million sales range, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, bigger than us. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I, you know, we're just getting to the point where I feel like we can attract, you know, Mm -hmm. real, you know, rock stars. And I'm like, really? Like we have to wait that, you know, I, I feel like the people that, you know, are coming to us are real rock stars, but, you know, obviously you just continue to, it's not even about, you know, ability. It's about experience at some point. And, you know, there's just, you start to, I think you just start to, I mean, Anouk was saying this on her episode a week or two ago, you know, there's just, I think there's a, it's like the avocado, right? We, we, as founders we know enough to know hopefully that we are probably not the best people to to eval, you know to to decide a couple of things because we know that we are not going to have all of the information and ideally what happens is you bring in people who are able not only to to put these decisions in ways that you know you can sort of you know, evaluate them, but also that have seen what the possible tentacles of those decisions can be later on. And that's where I think young companies, you know, I'll give you a great example. We, you know, we ship directly to Sprouts. And the reason why I I did that was because it was, you know, we were launching with Sprouts when we were in like UNFI vortex of hell. And Mm. like last, you know, October or whatever, when like nothing was getting picked up and everything just felt like we were getting paid to pick up, but we were delivering. So it was like just a total nightmare. And so I was like, I just want out of distributorville. So we're just going to go direct. And had I had someone, you know, on the team with me who had an experience experience of what that would then mean for those sprouts warehouses that only have eight stores, right? But you still got to get there. um, Maybe wouldn't have made that decision. So now it's like there's time that goes into undoing the stuff that you do and you do it with the best of your ability and everyone means very well, but you just don't have the the fourth the foresight I guess because sure. you've never done it before. Um one question yeah. I have for you is you said that you know he brought in COO VP Sales VP brand marketing and VP marketing comms. And I'm just kind of curious how mm-hmm. brand marketing and marketing comms like where's the border?
2: Right. I asked myself the very same question when he did that.
0: Very um, <laughs> good. There were, there
2: were like, if you ask me what I learned from John, it, you know, a couple of things I learned. I mean, I I didn't know. I was like, what's a trade marketing manager? I don't understand the purpose <laughs> of this position. Right. And you know, but you know, he he knows. Like he's 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 just he understands how these different functions fit into the mm-hmm. equation to make a greater whole. Yeah. Uh, in such a way that i you know i didn't see i didn't see the need for i didn't understand now a brand so the difference between the brand marketer and the marketing communications um, person they're very different skill sets uh the marketing communications person is really it's almost like an internal PR person in a way right. they're managing all of your communications your social your emails your um, even even something like direct to consumer, that team would fall under marcom. Um, anything that's very um, brand, uh, sorry, uh, communications out, messaging outward. Uh, the person that he brought in also obviously was tasked with working with Jen's PR team to right. manage her her appearances. And, uh, and and then speaking opportunities and and, and all right. this
0: so and then, there's, there's a lot and, right. and
2: and that was a very important uh, position for for the time when we were first uh, launching with Jen to really establish the brand as you know being co-founded by Jen and mm-hmm. and, and really like giving her a, a, a strong presence as a voice within the company. Um, so it was very vital that that he brought somebody on to help manage that and then the brand marketer, is really focused on, um, uh, they're, they're, they're far more analytical. So they're, they're, you know, they're looking, they're, they're running the consumer surveys. They're working on innovation. They're, they're running things like, um, even, uh, not rebranding, but they're making, you know, changes to the branding or the messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, we're constantly looking at data Um, the the trade marketing manager rolls up under the brand marketing side they're also looking at promotional pricing and general arp strategy in the broader market Um, right got it they're also you know run so there's just like a lot of pieces there that fall under that that side and they are two different if you really think about it right having one person manage both Mm -hmm. It it makes less sense because they are two very different skill sets, Um, but both fall within the realm of marketing. Yeah.
0: So then you, four years later, you, Mm -hmm. you know, someone slides into your DMs (laughs) and (laughs) this, there's a theme here and, you know, you go and basically, um, you know, I don't know where Coconut Cult was when you stepped in. I imagine that they didn't have the capacity um, to build out what you saw built out at once upon a farm. No, but um, and my guess is that the way that you um, handled your, you know, watching the kids in the pool kind of transition was very informed by the way that you felt as a founder having that, happen as well so I'm curious um, about some of the some of the things that you did in your first six months when you stepped in as CEO yeah
2: so um, basically what happened is that I uh, so I started I started advising this company before I uh, left once upon a farm and and you know just from a distance really loving the brand thinking they had a phenomenal product but also seeing them making a lot of mistakes and doing things that um, I you know I typical founder things that I just felt like were not the right things to do for the development of the like the stage of development that the company was in yeah and I had to so when they asked if I'd be interested in joining a CEO, I said I would be interested, but I you know I need to know certain things from you guys. I need I need to know you know exactly what it is that I'll be able to change, right right And I also need to know that I've you've got my back and that we're aligned on a lot of this. So it was honestly um, it was it was not easy to come into a company that had three founders who were so tied into the brand and, and what it was doing and, and start to make, you know, all the changes that I wanted to make. It was, it was incredibly difficult. Um, and it took a lot longer in some cases to make changes than I had originally um, planned. Now That being said, uh, you know, like I said, every company is different. Every playbook is different. Um, what I started to come to appreciate, and 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 it took me time even to get there myself, was that the things that I was getting pushback on from the founders were things that, uh, in some cases, were actually incredibly valuable pieces of the company. That if I hadn't if I hadn't gotten the pushback, you know, I would have I wouldn't have I would have overlooked. Right, Um, so an example of something that that you had
0: that trust there, right? Because I think, you know, I do this with Courtney and Keely on my team all the time. I I love when we have, they're my safest relationships I've ever had in my life, honestly, because there's so much trust there that they know that when they push back, I'm really listening. And when I'm probing and asking like, but why they don't need to get defensive I still really trust them. They still really trust me. Those are the best decisions because they come from this like kind of alchemy of, well, this doesn't make sense from, it's like what we were talking about earlier. Like it's just, there's what happens when you get really, really engaged people who understand sort of different pieces of the business in like a bucket together you know, slopping it around, you end up getting, I don't know why I keep using, I'm I'm like frogs and (laughs) mountains and I don't know, avocados and buckets. I'm like very, I I don't know what's going on, but you know what I mean? So I think it's great because clearly you establish that trust with them. So, and you, and you trusted them,
2: right? Yeah. So, so a couple things they let me do right off the bat. So within like the first 60 days, um the first thing and this was a really really difficult thing for me to get the founder to agree with was he he uh he started the this path for the company to make a a, a gelato of uh, an ice cream which was delicious and it sold very well in the whole food sopac and erawan and it was a phenomenal product the problem with it was they built a yogurt factory mm. and they mm-hmm took so much time and emphasis off their yogurt to focus right. on building this ice cream business. Yeah. And it really, you could see how it really just caused the the yogurt business to shrink. Yep. And it it's stalled the momentum of the brand in a in a massive way. And and I so I I really had to go in there. I I, you know, I went, I moved up to San Luis Obispo where the factory is for the company. And I rolled up my sleeves and I spent you know the first forty days there, um, going over every single thing that was happening and taking place in that factory from, right. you know, who's communicating with who, why are they communicating, um, what like who's doing the purchasing, how are they doing the purchasing, right? Like who's making, who's in charge of making the product, how are they making the product, and every single piece of this business. And you know, I made a couple big, ma- a couple big determinations, and one of them was the ice cream business has got to go. We have to stop making this ice cream because it's taking time off of not just production, but it's taking attention away from the broader team Mm -hmm. to focus on growing, you know, one business rather than trying to develop two businesses. So
0: there is a, I think we've talked about this too. There is a, and maybe this is going to settle down now with like the new normal, but there has been, I think a pressure on founders to like platform out a little earlier than, necessary you know like oh yeah it takes a long time to build brand trust and loyalty and customer and consumer trust and loyalty in one product in one category to be really young and be in different parts of the store and in different channels and different distribution systems and like that's that's I
2: mean, it's too much. I, yeah. And I didn't, you know, and, and investors, I mean, there were investors on, you know, who had both been sides. with the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. on both sides. And I was surprised. I was like, you guys should be cheering this move because, you know, this is still a very small business. We haven't cracked the code on how to grow a sustainable leader in plant-based yogurt yet, but I've, right. but, but that's our, but that's our goal. That's our mission. We have the potential to be that. So why would we want to be anything else right now?
0: Right. So that was like the primary thing. I mean, and then going back to, you know, I think you and I've talked about this too. Like, I think one of the reasons I love this show and one of the reasons I love talking to other companies is like, it's just really fun watching businesses figure out what their path up the mountain is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know, I just, I picture everyone like, in their own little cart going up the hill and no one's cart is exactly the same. And they're not even like competing for spots. Most of the time they're just in their own little thing. And I think what's fun watching you guys do is like, okay, you, you know that you, you know, you, you self-produce, which is pretty awesome. You do have this sort of like culty kind of like people are obsessed with it type of brand So it seems like you found this like amazing path up your hill, which is these limited editions with celebrities and influencers that are quite culty in and of themselves. And you can get them out really quickly and you can make them feel very personal to these people. So it's like everyone's like a mini co-founder almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of a one edition skew, but And then they have all that buy-in like, did you see that or did you fall upon that? Is that a good way to categorize, categorize? Characterize? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: So, so uh, I'll make a long story as short as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, The company had been doing limited edition flavor launches before I joined the business. They had been doing this for a while and the, so the, the, there, there were certain things that one of the, so yes, I got, we, we stopped making ice cream. There were, there were so many fundamental shifts that had to happen in this business. Um, and I, and, and that would be a book's worth of, of things, but um, I'll buy we, it. We, yeah, we <laughs> yeah. uh, so one of but one of the things we did was we, um, we made a, a, a decision uh, collectively as an LT uh, to, launch a limited edition yogurt flavor every two weeks, um, beginning August 22nd. And we have a very small team that manages the uh, relationships uh, in terms of, okay, are we going to partner with a brand or are we going to partner with an influencer? We have a, we have a a, a small team that does the R&D, in our factory and, and, creates the flavors. Um, you know, overall, I'd say that, um, it's, it was, you know, given the size of our team to, to say we would do this every two weeks, it was a bit, it's it, ambitious, it, it, was, it was a bit ambitious, but we, we did it. No, we did it. We did it through, wow. um, we did it through the end of November. And, and where do you, uh, and you
0: sell those all online and we sell them all online. And right. But, okay.
2: But, but, you know, but part of it was also to develop these relationships and to build Mm -hmm. the buzz and all this. So every time we'd release a limited edition flavor, we'd also mail out the limited edition flavor to, uh, quite a few influencers. Um, you know, and, and honestly, a lot of these influencers already know about the brand already love it. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we make a very, um, like if you are very, very, uh, Focused on your on your health, and you want to eat foods that are really going to benefit your um, your digestion. Um, the coconut cult is, you know, the best option in in the yogurt set for you. Right. Um, so a lot of the folks who know this, right, they're 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 long 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 term loyalists to the brand, yep. which we love. So we send them free yogurt. It happens to be a limited edition flavor that gets them more excited without asking them to post about it they generally will post right um that then creates um a wave uh of awareness uh in in and what we did also on August 22nd is we launched our TikTok account so we started to reach out to TikTok influencers as well which created this whole other wave of awareness that we uh hadn't experienced before um and, and honestly, what happened over the course of September, October, and November was so impactful to our overall business. Right. Um, in terms of growing it, bringing in literally, I mean, I'm not kidding, 300,000 individual visits to our website between wow. September and October, 300,000 individual users visiting our website. And 20% wow. of those people go straight to our store locator. Yeah. Um, can imagine what it's done for us right in terms of sales um so it's been it's been this incredible uh very rapid transformation of the business from a a place of you know trying to grow me me doing everything that i mm-hmm. can to really prime the pump to get things going to now uh we're so overburdened with uh demand and purchase orders stacking up that we are way more focused on um capacity and, and and supply chain increases right um, so it's, that's
0: that it's the avocado you know, again
2: There all there's always something <laughs> yeah there's always something um but you know it's definitely a better place to be and it's a better problem to have than yeah no faster. for
0: sure and um, i mean i think if you if you are in charge of your own production and you know we take our validation process is a nine month hpp validation as you know mm-hmm. from your days in hpp so we're not on that same timeline, but I think yeah. it's a great, you know, obviously I think Bora does something sort of similar in the way that they have. And, and Jing does too, you know, there are these limited editions. Sometimes they're with people, sometimes they're just like funky flavors or there are things that, you know, people are demanding, they use that as a, you know, way to get a lot of brand awareness and engagement and then that translates into larger retailers saying you know we just want to touch this brand and you don't necessarily need to give them you know you can give them vanilla um but they're just happy (laughs) because they're in the cult you know they get to be a part of the cult okay last question so armin doesn't get frustrated Every CEO, every founder, everyone leading a CPG company, we've talked about you know looking at stuff and and sort of the the challenges. but what's something that you are doing right now in the month of December that you would like every one of us to be thinking about or doing?
2: I am raising more money than I need to raise, yeah, uh, for my plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <Great>. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm always like, I'll do this note and then I'll take a break and then I'll, and then I'm like, Let's just stop with the breaks. Like you're not taking a break. You're just not. Yeah. So stop telling yourself you're going to, because you're just going to set yourself up for me. You know, like, you know, you got to keep going. Exactly. Um, yep. Ari, this was so fun. Thank you so much. I knew that I was going to love this conversation and um, you did not let me down. So I appreciate you coming on and I hope, you know, you know that you are not only worth it, but like any podcast would be lucky to have you as a guest.
2: Wow. Well, thank you so much, Allison. I'm so thankful for the time. Thank you for listening to everybody who's listening. It was a lovely conversation. You're a wonderful human being. I'm so thankful (laughs) you're in our industry. We owe you a deep debt of gratitude because you've really, uh, by doing this podcast, you've put out so much positivity and good information and helpful information to so many. So thank you
0: for all this great work. Thank you. And Armin, I would not be able to put out all of this great information if not for you. So thank you to our engineer, Armin, and thank you to Heritage Radio Network. And obviously, if no one listened to it, you guys all know I would still do it just to get to talk to people like Ari, but I am really glad that you are listening. So (laughs) thank you um, for listening, and I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network